0: You're listening to the Just Means Less ACC podcast with your host, Micah from Fifth Quarter and Dan from ACC content. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, Yeah,
1: ACC this week was a pretty, I mean, a pretty solid day, I'd say. Um, I mean, it would have been a little bit helpful if Virginia Tech beat Liberty, but I mean, this was supposed to be one of the most enjoyable weeks and especially considering the Clemson Notre Dame game, it definitely lived up to the
0: hype. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of those phenomenal games. Um, we'll obviously have our thoughts about that game uh, to come here. Going to save the best for last with this one, but yeah, that was, that was a phenomenal game. I'm, I'm glad I was able to watch, especially that, you know, that second half and overtime. Um, and we had really pretty good, pretty good ACC slate all week. I mean, Friday night was a phenomenal game in Raleigh and, you know, obviously the Liberty Virginia Tech game was wild. And I mean, Boston College Syracuse, though it was kind of ugly, was actually a pretty fun game in terms of at least competitively close. And it was honestly, even though it was a blood, I kind of enjoyed seeing North Carolina clicking in all cylinders. So it was, a, it was actually a pretty fun week in the ACC. So, um, Dan, you, you ready to, to dive right in with uh, that Miami-NC State game from Friday night in Raleigh? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. So obviously the Canes won 44 to 41 in what was a back and forth game where it kind of looked like NC state might win, but the Eric King just played out of his mind showed his, you know, clutch of gene that he has in, in his system. And honestly, this Miami team defensively looked exactly like the Miami team we've seen off the bye a couple of times, uh, the FIU and Virginia Tech game from last season kind of come to mind there, but Bailey Hockman honestly played very well. I was impressed with his performance this weekend. Uh, I guess it would be Friday night for the Wolfpack. But, I mean, Dan, what did you take away from this? I took away – NC State is, you know, a legit team this year. They really could beat anybody left on their schedule. And then, obviously, for the Miami takeaway, it's – Miami is, in my opinion, the true third-best team, and and obviously pending that result against Wake Forest in a couple weeks – I don't see any reason not to believe that, you know, Miami could potentially sneak into the AC title game. However, they're going to need some help now because if they, they kind of needed Notre Dame to lose to kind of help that case because Notre Dame couldn't lose twice, but I don't see them losing twice now that they've beaten Clemson. So that's probably the only way Miami can get in now unless Clemson loses again, which, ooh, that would be interesting to say the least. But what's your takeaway from this uh, close one in rally on Friday night?
1: Yeah, I think NC State, like, they showed that with the bailey Hawkman team, they're going to compete in most games. They're, they're not probably towards the top of the conference. They're middle of the pack-ish. But, um, yeah, I just thought Miami was simply just better and more talented. And the, the difference maker was D.R. King. I mean, that's really why they won. He looked phenomenal. I thought it was really the first time that he really looked like an NFL caliber quarterback I mean just the plays he made um I mean he's he's been making plays throughout the year but I thought the difference this game was his deep ball and his over the shoulder throw and his touch pass was just all phenomenal um I mean he was he just wouldn't miss a ball downfield which was basically the polar opposite of what he's been in the first I mean eight weeks of the season where he would do everything except be able to hit that downfield pass. And then that opened up and this Miami offense is now very scary. Obviously we saw them put up 44 points against not a great NC state defense, but one that has been able to contain their opponents this year for the most part. So that's pretty good to see. But, um, I think this Miami team really gives me 2017 Miami vibes. Like, 2017 Miami remember that was the year that they almost went undefeated they were 11 and 0 and then um they lost to four or I think it was five and seven pit in that final game obviously the Kenny Pickett debut um and like the team throughout the year they were they became a top five team because of you know they, they would never lose but they never really dominated anybody like they almost lost to three and nine UNC. They almost lost to six and six Virginia. So this is really kind of the same case where Miami is they're winning. They're a good team, but are they elite? No, because they're really not dominating anybody and they're not impressing that much.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. I think this Miami team, um, I think they're winning off a of talent. I mean, if they don't, I mean, that's definitely the difference between this Miami team and Miami teams of the past. Is they have that quarterback. I mean, years past the type of performance, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they lose. I mean, they just do. But with DeArt King in the lineup, this team is good enough to get the job done. And this uh, this coming game in Blacksburg on, on Saturday is going to honestly really make make it very interesting. I don't I can't believe that. Um, that game getting a noon kickoff, but I guess it makes sense when, you know, Miami's headed one way and Virginia Tech well, kind of heading the wrong way, but yeah, I, 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 like the future for NC state though. I mean, I really do think that this program, I think Dave Dorn, you know, has kind of kept this team in the right, in the right position. Uh, they hopefully, you know, don't overlook Florida state this coming weekend. Cause honestly, the biggest game left on NC state schedule is Liberty. Yeah, oh Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Liberty left. I mean, that's got to be the biggest game on their schedule by far. Um, I mean, it's getting a 7:30 kickoff, so that's something that you know, obviously under the lights there in Raleigh. So should be a big one for sure. But any other thoughts on this one, Dan? Or do we want to um, kind of stay in that North Carolina area with the Tobacco Road rivalry?
1: Yeah, I agree on your NC State take. I think they'll be set in the future. Devin Leary is young. I mean, Bailey Hoffman is basically what we thought he was, like a solid backup game manager guy. His receivers are great, which is why he put up pretty good numbers and they put up 41 points. But ultimately the reason they lost is because King was better and he couldn't come through in the clutch. So with that being said, yeah, I'm fine moving on. 56-24 to was the final score of North Carolina over Duke. I mean, I'll let you start, but in my opinion, this was pretty much just a better team dominating a worse team.
0: Exactly the game that we kind of expected. We both talked about it. Normally in years past, you know, a rivalry game like this, I, you know, would have kind of leaned, you know, potential upset here for Duke, but this is a North Carolina team that needed something to go their way. They were you could tell this team was fired up. Honestly, credit to Duke. They only turned the ball over twice, Dan. I, I'm not going to lie. I only watched a little bit of this game. I kind of turned it off when I saw it was 20. I, I turned it on, saw the first touchdown, looked away for a little bit, and saw it was 28 nothing early in the second quarter. And I was like, well, no real point in turning this one back on. Okay. It was interesting to see, you know, looking at the box score after the game. Honestly, I, I, when it, when, you, when, I, when I saw the score, I assumed that Duke probably had turned the ball over, you know, their typical five to six times. So credit to them on that front. That's probably the best takeaway, no pun intended um, for the Blue Devils. But yeah, this game was just purely dominated by a, uh, a North Carolina team that was ready to just wreak havoc. I mean, it was, like, it was 49 to 10 early third quarter I mean, a couple eight touchdowns there for Duke. But, I mean, again, stat-wise, not, not too much of a blow stat-wise. It was only a hundred, about 100 or so yards more for North Carolina offensively. But time possession was pretty equal, too. But, once again, you know, North Carolina needed this one. They needed a reason to kind of hold on hope and kind of right the ship. And, I mean, there's a – there's still an outside chance North Carolina could make the AC championship game. It's very slim, of course, but you know, you take care of business against Wake, you upset Notre Dame and Miami, but yeah, North Carolina need this game. Cause you know, I just said three of, I mean, I'm not going to do too much of a spoiler, but three of the top five teams in the ACC 10, if you include North Carolina in there. So really three of the top four that they that North Carolina could play are, are still on their schedule. So uh, they definitely needed that one for sure. So it'll be interesting to see what we get from the Tar Heels in the coming weeks. But yeah, this, this is kind of solidified for me, you know, my thoughts on both North Carolina and Duke and you know, Duke's just not very good at football, Dan. I think I'm, I'm, I'm glad we'll be talking basketball here soon because Duke fans need something positive to listen to. Yeah. I,
1: I respect the, Duke basketball fans that also root just as hard for their football team because it's really rough. Um, It's kind of like this year after year. I mean, they're sometimes solid, but they haven't really – like even Syracuse had 10 wins a couple of years ago. Duke really hasn't had that. But, yeah, when we talk about UNC, I mean, I talked about it on the last episode, how they kind of have that cycle where this year where they have a letdown loss followed by a big win followed by a letdown loss, and you just keep repeating the cycle. Well, they had the letdown loss to Virginia. They had the big win against – or it wasn't really a big win. It was a large margin of victory win against Duke. Well, the big test will be can they take care of Wake Forest now? But um, that's really my only takeaway for UNC. Like, they, you basically said how they basically – I mean, they were in control of the game even though they didn't dominate stat-wise, probably because they didn't really need to – dominate stat wise. And um, I think my one takeaway for Duke is that Gunnar Holmberg is needs to be the guy to replace Chase Bryce. I mean, Chase Bryce this year, 12 interceptions, just seven touchdowns, um, 6.4 yards per attempt. I haven't done the math. I probably will, but that's probably dead last in the ACC. Um, maybe the plethora of Syracuse starters, would be in the mix for that too but Chase Bryce is not it Gunnar Holmberg came in and he actually has looked pretty solid this year this game he was seven of nine 71 yards did take a couple of sacks but no interceptions that's more than um, Chase Bryce could ever say and I don't think he'll drastically change this offense especially given what's around him and he's not like one of the top half quarterbacks in the ACC by any means but he would certainly be an upgrade over Bryce so I just hope that Cutcliffe realizes his mistake in um having Bryce in this long and makes the change I mean Holmberg could be a future guy they do have some recruits coming into the system that are better in terms of star rating but I think the redshirt sophomore Holmberg should be the guy for the rest of the year that's just me
0: that's not a terrible terrible take. I mean, I think that Chase Bryce is still gonna end up being the starter, but honestly, I, I don't disagree there. Unfortunately, Chase Bryce, you know, got a lot of hype for being Clemson. He's a great guy. he understands the game well, but he's just not he's not a starter. He's just not unfortunately not and not in a power five school. you know, maybe Chase Bryce would have had more success, you know. I don't want to, you know, take shots at the Mac or something like that, but maybe he would have been better off somewhere there where, you know, just, again, he's just not, unfortunately, he's, he just hasn't panned out for Duke. And especially with a guy like Coach Cutcliffe, it's kind of hard to imagine if he had the skill So I don't want to dwell too much though on this Duke, North Carolina beat down on Tobacco Road. So let's transition over to what was the most, Crazy but disappointing game as an ACC fan this weekend with 25th-ranked Liberty winning in Blacksburg 38-35 to in what was a game where, frankly, Dan, Justin Fuente got outcoached by Hugh Freeze. I mean, I don't think there's a better way of putting it. Uh, I think talent-wise, Virginia Tech was a little bit better on this field. Obviously, Malik Willis played well, but, man, did Virginia Tech just find ways to to really – not lose this football game. I'd say the coaching staff kind of found a way. I mean, Liberty came in with the right game plan. We're talking dominated time of possession, won the first down battle, won the total yards battle, didn't lose the turnover battle. That was Liberty's biggest, I guess, issue was they turned the ball over twice in the red zone. So that kind of hurt them there. Because, I mean, honestly, this was a game where I thought for a second there, Liberty was actually going to kind of run away with it. So that kind of backfired on, on the flames, but... Yeah, this was this was disappointing, Dan. What are your thoughts on, on what was, you know, of course, the crazy Justin Fuente decides to take a timeout, which I don't know if you were watching it live, but obviously I was. And I heard the whistle, like, as the, like right before the ball was snapped. But, you know, the play continued. So I kind of was like, maybe I'm just hearing things. So I kind of had a feeling they were going to try to ice the kicker. Um, it didn't make a lot of sense, but it didn't really surprise me. But credit Hugh Freeze for saying, all right, well, <laughs> that didn't work. So they go, they outsmart Virginia Tech by picking up the first down and getting think, like five or six yards on an out route pass to the sideline, giving them a couple seconds to then line up for a much more reasonable field goal. And shout out to college kickers. Alex Barber, I believe is how you say his last name. Barbier, maybe drills that 51 yarder to to win the game for Liberty but I mean what were your thoughts Dan because this one this one's got to sting if you're a Hokies fan
1: yeah my biggest takeaway of course I'll get to that whole fiasco in a second but what really put me on the fire Fuente train in addition to the Virginia Tech fans was how after the game he didn't take responsibility for it he kind of like excused himself a little bit and that's kind of what's going to make you lose locker rooms that's what's going to make you lose recruiting momentum I mean they don't really have much which is part of the problem but yeah I mean what happened was obviously they um, Liberty was lined up for a 59 yarder and I mean the kick was blocked I think the Liberty players heard the whistle because I didn't see them go after the Virginia Tech player who ends up scooping up the ball So Virginia Tech may or may not have scored, but at the very least it would have gone to overtime. But, I mean, why are you icing the kicker, kicking a 59-yarder, which is long past his career long? I mean, like we saw – I think there was an NFL kicker that lined up for a 67-yard field goal, and nobody – Andy Reid, didn't ice him,
0: so. Oh, my favorite part about that – so I was there, Dan. I was actually at that Panthers and Chiefs game yesterday. Yeah. voice for that reason but i thought it was funny that it's joey sly former virginia tech kicker who was the one that lined up for that 67 yard field goal so uh typical i think andy Reid may have learned from uh joey sly's alma mater about hey it's a long kick just let him try to kick it if he makes it great if he doesn't you know well <laughs> if, if he makes a 67 yarder you deserve to lose the football game anyways.
1: yeah that would have been like the record by like three yards <laughs> but yeah i mean the the fact of the matter is, if once you see them lining up for a play, why are you sagging off 20 yards and giving them the sideline? Like a Hail Mary touchdown is the exact same thing as a game-winning field goal in a tie game in regulation. Either way, you end up losing the game. So you have to guard the sidelines because either way, even if you're playing coverage, not like if, even if you're not playing prevent defense the fact that the chances of them converting a Hail Mary are so unlikely. So you cannot, they had plenty of time to be able to get a closer field goal to the sideline. You, you have to prevent that from happening. So, I mean, that was definitely a huge mistake as well. And I mean, aside from the end of the game, I mean, Virginia Tech definitely was hurt by Khalil Herbert getting injured on the opening kickoff because Raheem Blackshear is just not the same and Hendon Hooker played very well, especially stat wise. But I mean, we were talking about how this game could turn into a shootout and Khalil Herbert will be the X factor. Well, they didn't have Khalil Herbert and they weren't able to win the shootout. So um, besides that, you got to give credit to Liberty. I mean, their offense is just super frustrating to defend. Malik Willis is phenomenal. I mean, I I was doubting his ability to throw before the game. That's just like a typical analyst casual take, and I I definitely will take responsibility for that because he made some nice downfield throws. Um, and I mean, the Hokies defense. I can't believe it. I was I think we were both hyping them up so much before the year. I mean, Rayshard Ashby. Uh, Caleb Farley obviously opted out but look at all the other pieces they have in their secondary well I mean they've just not been able to put it together and once again they I mean they put up enough points they have enough offensive production and their defense lets them down so major disappointment for Virginia Tech I mean they're starting to get into that category with Pitt and Florida State and Louisville for just teams that were supposed to be re- pretty good this year at least pretty good, if not better, and they just haven't been what we expected them to be.
0: Virginia Tech's in some trouble too. You mentioned it, Dan. I my biggest takeaway from this game, especially watching it live, was, and they were talking about it too on the broadcast. Liberty scored with, I believe it was probably what two minutes left in the game, minute and forty-one, uh, where the running back could have gone down. That you could, you literally could see. The defense of Virginia Tech, once he got the edge, they just didn't, no one, no one chased after him. They let the running back go. It was Peyton Pickett nine yards for the touchdown run there. And he gave Virginia Tech a minute and 41. I'm like, ooh, probably shouldn't do that. The way this Virginia Tech offense had been kind of clicking on their last drive there. Henning Hooker, they had the momentum offensively. Like, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna go down the field and score. I didn't like the clock management offensively. The fact, I mean, obviously you want to score, you need to score. So I understand that. Like, I'm not saying the receiver, like Trey Turner, should not have gone down at the one yard line or something like that, you know, or they shouldn't have run routes to the two yard line or ran the ball up the middle to kill more time. But I mean, you scored in 49 seconds, and they used timeouts to do so. I just wish maybe they would have used a little bit more of a no huddle in that final minute. Maybe used timeouts. But you mentioned it. The defense, what you know, would bother me was you you gave them 52 seconds and you just played off the ball you just you, you left receivers go 10 12 13 yards when you when you saw this team line back up for a regular play with five, six seconds or was it eight seconds left I think yeah eight seconds left they call a timeout on the kick how in the world do you not press coverage and let them try to beat you over the top especially with Malik Willis not no offense to Malik Willis but he's not a deep ball passer he's not it's not like it's with Sam Howell or something like that, where he wants you to go one on one on the on the edges there and let Daz Newsome or something, someone like that, come down with a forty yard touchdown and to win the game. I just I think Virginia Tech better show up defensively against Miami Dan, or I think that Justin Hamilton hire is going to look really bad on Fuente, and this could lead to that fire Fuente crowd because we're talking about the last what. Four real mobile quarterbacks Virginia Tech has faced, maybe five, has just ripped this defense apart. We're talking Bryce Perkins last year with Virginia, uh, the good old, you know, (laughs) Kentucky wide receiver stuff going on there uh, in the Belk Bowl. And then obviously, you know, Virginia Tech struggles here with Malik Willis. They, I mean, again, Sam Howell, but they struggled there a little bit as well. I mean – this is a defense that's this is not this is not Duke defense. I mean, it's just not. I mean, even the Louisville game, like, you know, obviously they won that game, but you know, Michael Cunningham had a phenomenal day. I mean, this is I mean, in a couple of years ago, if Virginia Tech could score 30 some points in the game, they would be un- like if you look at how many points Virginia Tech had scored this year, they'd be undefeated, maybe minus the Wake Forest game. If this was three, four years ago in the prime of that Virginia Tech defense. I mean, how many times I, I watched Virginia Tech games and they were sixteen to six or ten. Like now they can't keep teams out of the end zone. I mean, and it's not going to get any any better going against a Miami team that's offense is clicking in all cylinders and has honestly a better mobile quarterback than Liberty did.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, a lot of Virginia Tech fans like to reminisce in the um, Beamer days, but. I mean, just it's the Bud Foster days that are gone and this defense is just completely different. And yeah, it's it's disappointing to see. And I mean, maybe it's growing pains, I don't know. But I I think I said in a Virginia, we did a Virginia Virginia Tech combined preview podcast and we were talking about I think you asked this question like who wins more games again in the Commonwealth uh, Cup over the next five years? And I said, Virginia Tech 3-2, to and I said, I think that Fuente will be there for all five years. Well, I was dead wrong, and I'm going to call myself out for that one because I don't know if he makes it to next year, if I'm being honest. I mean, maybe just because of the financial situation and all that and, you know, the global pandemic. But besides that, I mean, Virginia Tech might want to look elsewhere. Heck, we both said it. Q-free is That'd be pretty funny, but I mean, is it realistic in any way? Probably not. Probably not.
0: Uh, yeah. I think Hugh Freeze wants to go back to the SEC, and there's some uh, there's some warm seats in SEC country, both in Columbia, South Carolina, as well as obviously there's that Auburn talk and everything like that. I think. Then you mentioned obviously that preview podcast we did with Virginia Tech and Virginia combined in the Commonwealth Cup. You know, over under who wins in the next five years. If you're a Virginia Tech fan that wants Justin Fuente gone that bad, you might want to hope they lose the Virginia. Because if they lose the Virginia this year, Dan, he is gone. (laughs) 100% gone. Whatever the buyout is, you can say say goodbye to him. And Honestly, the way uh, Virginia Tech has struggled with these mobile quarterbacks, I understand that, you know, Brendan Armstrong is not a Bryce Perkins. I mean, we all know that. But I would say that Brendan Armstrong's not much worse than Malik Willis. And I would say that Virginia has better weapons on the outside than Liberty did. So I'm not saying Virginia is going to beat Virginia tech. Cause I don't think that yet, but it's not a for sure thing anymore for the Hokies like it was two weeks ago. So that's where, you know, my, my, my concern for Virginia tech is, is there. Cause again, they're just, that's the worst part. It kind of reminds me of Pitt. They've been in these games. And normally the better team wins when it comes to this kind of stuff. And it sounds like, you know, based off how these have kind of played out, they're not the better team. They're just, maybe they're not. I mean, we're talking about if Virginia Tech loses to Miami this weekend, and they're four and four with at best probably six and five with Clemson still on the schedule. Did any of us see six and five for Virginia Tech this season? No, nope. <laughs> absolutely not. Not with this type of team. So yeah, this is a, a tough year for the Hokies for sure. But any other thoughts on this one? You said it. Credit to Liberty. I, I haven't said it yet, but yeah, credit to Liberty. Liberty and Coastal is going to be a fun game in a couple oh God, weeks. Yeah. Liberty and NC State. So Liberty's going to have. I'm going to be watching a lot more Liberty football than I normally do in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, this is. Uh, not the best look for the ACC, but are you ready to uh, to move on to the slow slugfest that was Boston College-Syracuse?
1: Yes, I think I am. Um, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll let you get started with this. I have a few thoughts about this game, not as much as the Virginia Tech-Liberty, but I'll let you get started
0: with this one. So I was at this game last year, Dan, in Syracuse when Boston College ran for what felt like a thousand yards. I don't, obviously, it wasn't that much, but I think it was in the four or 500 range. Um, where literally every other handoff was a 60, 70 yard run for either David Bailey or, um my goodness, going? Going? So, it, one of those things where, you know, I, I was shocked by this. Dan, I'm chalking this up as the Clemson effect and the Clemson effect only. I'm curious your thoughts on this. You could just tell that Boston College was just, Kind of sleepwalking. But the thing was, I mean, I didn't watch a lot of it, but even when I was keeping up with the score, it never felt like Syracuse was actually going to win this football game. I mean, technically it took a touchdown in the last, you know, with 20 seconds left to even send us to an onside kick opportunity to really make this game obviously that three-point score. I mean, this game was miserable. Of the pieces I did watch, it was pretty miserable to watch. Um, Phil Djokovic was decent. I mean, David Bailey had a pretty good day. He broke, he clips 100 yards, which was definitely great to see. But, again, this Boston College team settled for a lot of field goals, so credit to Syracuse's bend but not break defense. But, yeah, this is one of those games where, I mean, I, I, I'm going to chalk up Boston College's performance to the Clemson effect, and I'm going to chalk this up that Syracuse really isn't. I mean, they're the wor- – so I don't want to do spoilers, but they're going to be tied for my worst team in the ACC with uh, someone we previously talked in in Duke. But – this is a team that you know is not you know you you need to show up and play them you can't just like sleepwalk going against them but they're not very good and you know boston college honestly felt like they were asleep or at least very hungover (laughs) for this one so i'm just going to chalk up the clemson effect to kind of what i took away from this game
1: yeah the clemson effect is fair i wrote that down um i'm actually writing an article which is like a I wrote two articles, one about the Atlantic teams, one's about the Coastal teams for um, fifth quarter, which is basically everything – basically like a a couple of points that I made in the podcast in a more elegant form. But, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely talked about the Clemson effect. And also, if you look at the game, Boston College dominated in terms of time of possession and yardage. And in each individual aspect of the game, they played pretty well. I mean, they couldn't put the ball through the posts which probably was the reason – or they couldn't put the ball in the end zone either, which is probably the reason that they only scored 16 points. But I don't think Boston College played that horribly. I think if you consider the Clemson effect, it's it's really not that bad. I don't think of them as any worse of a team. Um, and my only other take is for Syracuse, I mean, Jacoby and Morgan made the surprise start. I was kind of – what I said on the preview pod was – he should be the guy, but he won't. But he actually did end up being the guy. Jacoby and Morgan, the true freshman starting quarterback for Syracuse. And, I mean, 19 of 30, 188 yards, touchdown and a pick. Not a terrible day. Um, I think I kind of like him a little bit. Uh, I think of the quarterbacks that they have, he's definitely the best future. I think I like him a little bit better than DeVito even. I think the mistakes that he made were – pretty typical of a true freshman and he won't be really be a star in the ACC, but he'll definitely, I see him as a decent starter in the future. Um, is, I mean, I, I kind of see him as a kind of a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy where he, he's not going to be a stud, but I mean, he, he's a safe bet for somebody that will be relevant in the next um, couple years. So what they really got to do is they got to build around him. They got to get some playmakers. They got to get. They really got to protect him. I mean, that's the big thing, because, I mean, he took four sacks for twenty yards, and we're talking about one of the better performances in terms of not getting sacked for Syracuse quarterback. So that's really all I have to say. I mean, there's not much to make of this game. But do you have do you have any other thoughts on this BC Syracuse game? I agree with your take. I think that
0: he could be an Eric Dungy type um, in terms of like, again, like you said, someone that's not going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the league, but he's good enough to win you a football game when needed. You know, he's, he's not going to cost you games. Like unfortunately Tommy DeVito and all others have done. So um, other than that, no, I'm kind of ready to, to, to move on to the game that made me the most silly by saying Pitt had quit with that, but then they come out and beat Florida State 41 to 17. I do want to say I did not realize Kenny Pickett was playing when I tweeted that. Uh, Dan, you had told me that after I was like, wait, Kenny Pickett was playing. Like, yeah, they came out with that on Friday. I'm like, well, I should probably be a little bit more informed next time. But um, I don't even think that matters. I think Pitt has not quit. So that makes me very excited because I was very concerned they were going to. And it kind of makes me wonder if Florida state's going to quit because you just got rolled by a pit team that hasn't done jack crap in a couple weeks. So I don't know. I mean, this was, I mean, again, it was 24 17 at halftime in favor of um, pit. So it was a close game at half shout out to Pitt for just saying, screw this shutting down Florida state in the second half. And, you know, I mean, the offense really didn't do much for Pitt in the second half either. They had the one touchdown early in the third quarter, but I mean, other than that, they had a nice drive, that settled in a 19-yard field goal. Good old Narduzzi special when you're two yards away from the end zone (laughs) for a field goal there. I mean, that one wasn't terrible because it did make it a three-score game compared to two, so that one made a little bit more sense, but it's still a Narduzzi special for sure, but then obviously the pick six from Brandon Hill kind of obviously seals the deal for the Panthers, but I think this just kind of solidifies Pitt as a team that, you know, could honestly win two more games with Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech on their schedule. I still don't think they're going to be Clemson, but, you know, this is a team that, and you know, I think if they get to six wins, that's a, that's a solid, solid day for the Panthers, but uh, our solid season least a way to end it. And this Florida State team, I mean, Their schedule's not too brutal. I mean, obviously at NC State and Clemson will be tough, but they got Virginia at home and at Duke. So maybe Florida State can get to four wins, but that's where I'm going to cap my max for them. Um, I will say I don't think Jordan Travis is a guy that Florida State should want at quarterback if they're planning to drastically improve in coming years. As much as I think he needs time to develop, I just haven't seen that pure skill set to make me kind of go, Oh, well, if he, you know, develops a little bit more, he could be something special. He, he's no Deandre Francois. He's no, you know, Jameis Winston type. I I just don't think that he's going to, I mean, besides maybe his ability to throw pick sixes, that's the only Jameis Winston quality I kind of see with him, but yeah, I, I just don't. I don't think. I think Florida State is in for a solid year or two rebuild at minimum to get to what would be a eight and four type team um, with the Norvell hire coming in.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I never really thought that Travis was um, the guy for the future. I think he's a competent transition guy, and I still think so. Um, like, you know, he, he's he's gonna you know, be inconsistent with his accuracy, a good runner. Um, Chubba Purdy is the future, at least of the guys that they have now in the system. He's definitely not the guy now. I mean, this year, he has not looked very good. And um, I mean, you're throwing the ball 21 times and only having 38 yards. I mean, yeah, you're just not ready yet. So that's all I have to say. They used three quarterbacks this game because Jordan Travis was hurt and they were actually down by one, touchdown only when they ended up taking Jordan Travis out at halftime. But um, I mean, then they put in James Blackman and second throw. I mean, his first throw is an incompletion. Then his second throw. I don't know what the heck he was seeing because he basically just threw the ball right to a pit defender. I mean, that was awful. James Blackman has just steadily regressed since his mediocre freshman season. So it's been very weird, but yeah. Um, I think Florida State's chances of success this year, any sort of success, are really over. And then you just got to give credit to Pitt. I mean, everything was looking down for them with their program. They lost four straight games. Paris Ford opted out. Like you said, they really could have quit. And then Kenny Pickett comes back, and they managed to rally to victory. Give a ton of credit to them. And I think what stood out to me was the play of their safeties. I mean, Paris Ford was out. DeMar Hamlin finally stepped up. And then Brandon Hill, who was the direct replacement of Harris Ford, he played pretty well, too, and I think that was his starting debut. So, um, yeah, credit's a pit. But more just Florida State is really just kind of checked out this year. And, I mean, like I said, Travis is the transition guy, and Purdy is not ready yet.
0: Yeah, I I think – In the end, this game didn't really tell me much. (laughs) It just kind of told me that it hasn't quit. And Florida State's in for a good year or two of a rebuild for sure. So, just to get, and by rebuild, I mean just to get back to like eight and four, nine and three, like maybe a top 25 spot every once in a while kind of thing, not a consistent contender in the ACC. But, um, ready to move on to the final game of the night. And obviously, the most important one with. Clemson falling in double overtime to Notre Dame in what was a phenomenal game that was full of ups, downs, twists, turns, and everything in between.
1: Yeah, I think I tweeted this at you. This might be our path of two playoff teams. I mean, from the ACC. Clemson must beat Notre Dame in the ACC championship game for this to happen, but in that case, they would each have one loss to each other. They each have one So only one loss to a playoff team. Hey, not that bad. They both have wins against each other. And I mean, at least Clemson would make the playoffs because they would, their loss could be excused by all their injuries on defense and Trevor Lawrence being out. And I'll kind of, I guess we'll both kind of get to that in a second, but I mean, right now Notre Dame has the best. I mean, I'd say they have the best resume wise. They the best resume in the country. They the best win out of all the teams in the country, and they're undefeated. So, I mean, I might be a little biased here, but if I was making a poll, I might have Notre Dame number one after this week. Not because they've looked like the best team in the country, but resume-wise, they are the best.
0: Yeah, I I would still have Alabama at one. This is because they've beaten Texas A&M. They've beaten Georgia. They've beaten a couple of top 25 teams where Notre Dame pretty much only has the Clemson win. to hang it's hat on, but – yeah, this was a game where it honestly, at the beginning, Dan, felt like Notre Dame was going to win big here. It really did. Like the way this game got started, I was like, oh, crap. just going to get ran out the door. You know, I, I have been saying the ACC had a chance for two teams numerous times way back in the preseason, Dan. So glad you're finally on board with the potential opportunity that is two teams in the ACC. But Yeah, this is one of those types of experiences where Notre Dame finally won the big game. You know, I am a little tired of all the excuses about Clemson losing. I mean, obviously the biggest, and I'm sure we're both gonna agree on this and most people have kind of agreed to it as well. The biggest issue for Clemson was all the defensive pieces that were out. I mean, this is a team that, you know, was missing some very key pieces that again, Showed against Boston College and showed this week against you know Notre Dame. This is a team that I mean DJ Uga Unga Oh wow, I botched that. I thought I thought I was ready. Ui Unga Malay thought I had it right. Screwed me. Screwed it up. Oh well. But DJ U, you know, this, this was this was honestly a phenomenal performance. He played great. He couldn't have done much better. Um, you know, my my biggest offensive disappointment was Travis Etienne, and not just because he was kind of slowed. I mean, I knew Notre Dame's run defense was phenomenal, and they were going to obviously key off on, on Etienne, but that fumble was horrendous. There is no reason why a Heisman candidate should fumble that in that situation. And that's back-to-back weeks that Travis Etienne has cost his team a touchdown. Like this week, I if I remember correctly, if you did a plus minus for touchdowns he had against touchdowns that he gave the other team, he's back in even. That's a little unacceptable in my opinion. And again, I mean, and that's just because I'm holding Travis Etienne to this incredibly high standard, being that he's, you know, one of the top five guys in college football right now. So credit to Ian Book as well. I mean, that was phenomenal. He he played well. He finally had that clutch day, but yeah, this was a game that, you know, Clemson doesn't turn the ball over that much. You know, this, this game honestly ends well for the Tigers, but unfortunately they did not do so. And again, credit to Notre Dame, you know, I, something I, I kind of picked up on. You know, when Clemson made it 33 to 26, Dan with 3.30 left, I thought it was over. I thought for sure that Ian Book was not going to be able to drive Notre Dame down the field. I, I kind of just, I wrote off the, I wrote off Notre Dame, especially with the fact that Notre Dame got stopped. And then Clemson gets stopped three and out and gives them the ball back. So after that first stop, I'm like, yeah, there's no way Notre Dame wins this game. Like this team is defeated. Clemson's going to be able to hold them. And what does Ian Book do? Take the team down 91 yards in a minute and a half. I mean, incredible, absolutely incredible job by Ian Book there. Obviously a lapse in the secondary by Clemson, but you know, Ian Book made the throw and that's all that matters really in the end there. So uh, another issue for me too, Clemson settled for a lot of field goals, and that's not Clemson like. You know, obviously three field goals in the game, and they couldn't when it, when it when it mattered most. Notre Dame's defense stepped up in that second overtime and sent sent Clemson backwards on back-to-back plays, and kind of it kind of felt like that Virginia Virginia Tech game last year, Dan, where when the defense needed that one stop, they just need that one stop to win the game. They sent the house, and they got there. They made sure that they they got there because they knew if they didn't get there, that's probably a big play in the making. So, yeah, Notre Dame, you know, I I think barring some crazy upset, which honestly I could still see them losing a game before the ACC title game, might be playoff bound, which is something that I, I necessarily did not expect coming into the season.
1: Yeah, and if this team is playoff bound, it won't be like that. 2018 where they snuck into the playoffs as a four seed and they really didn't deserve to be there like this is a much better Notre Dame team and I think Ian Book has been listening to all of our podcasts not just us but basically everybody who's basically accused him of being a game manager which he was his entire career but I mean Saturday night he played lights out career day he was definitely more much more than a game manager then I mean His stats aren't glaring, but he played. I mean, the throws he made, the plays he made, extending things with his legs. Um, I mean, he only took two sacks for eight yards. That was just great. Kyron Williams, of course, breaking out that big run to start the day. Um, I think the big problem with Clemson, I'll get back to Notre Dame in a second, but I think the big problem with Clemson was – like their offensive line play in addition to Travis Etienne was bad. I mean, obviously, Travis Etienne was not himself. So that certainly didn't help. And he didn't really contribute much in their, I mean, eight catches for 57 yards. But when you only have 28 yards rushing, you expect him, like last week, he had like 150 yards receiving to balance that out. Well, he didn't really do that. So when you're Travis Etienne, you don't eclipse a 100 total yards. That's definitely a huge disappointing day. Um, they had injuries especially at the offensive guard position and that's what brought up the jokes that I saw like Eric McLean they really could have need they really needed you out there because um the ACC network analyst who based who was I think he was I mean I know he was very good I think he was all conference maybe all American not sure but yeah they really could have used McLean out there and um yeah like they gave up critical sacks late I mean I think that was the difference between DJU and Trevor, where Trevor could extend plays, make plays with his legs, and um, I mean, DJU took the sacks in overtime. But I mean, you can't blame the guy that literally broke Trevor Lawrence's career record in passing. So definitely not DJU's fault. Um, but yeah, Notre Dame really impressed me. That's that's my biggest takeaway of the game. Notre Dame, super impressive, proving me wrong, and. Obviously, talked about Ian Book. Their defense played well as in addition, um, Jeremiah Wusu, Karamoa, Kyle Hamilton. Um, they 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 have a ton of stars on the defensive side of the ball. My issue is they. I still am not sure they had that elite offense. And what we learned kind of with the SEC this weekend with that Florida Georgia game was you you need to, you know. You need to have an elite offense. I think we've learned that with Georgia over the years. You need to have an elite offense to win championships. We learned that with LSU when they finally won a championship game when they got an elite offense. But I definitely think they're playoffs bound. I definitely do.
0: Yeah, I agree. There will be a lot of question marks for sure with Notre Dame. But, again, they, they've done what they've needed to do to this point, and It'll be. I can't. I. I say I can't wait because we don't know for sure. But uh, I mean, barring some craziness, I can't wait for the rematch in Charlotte here in in a couple weeks. Used to be a little over a month now in uh, in mid December, mid to late December. I know how you look on it. It'll be a week early Christmas present. Let's just put it that way. But uh, any other thoughts, or do we want to wrap this one up, all the recaps, and kind of move towards our um accolades for the week our offense defense and team of the week
1: no i'm i'm ready to move on if you are um absolutely all right i'll start with my offensive mvp for the week uh it was dr king he was great and he was the reason that they won the game and i mean he put up over a 500 total yards he was 31 for 41 430 passing yards five total touchdowns or was it Yeah, five total touchdowns, 105 rushing yards, phenomenal day. Um, I mean, there were definitely a ton of offensive producers, but I think D.R. King single-handedly carried his team on his back on uh,
0: Friday night. I agree. I was actually going to go D.R. King, but I actually had two just in case. I'll make this a little bit more fun. It's not fun when we both agree. I actually went Kyron Williams running back from Notre Dame. 140 yards on 23 rushing attempts, obviously it's a 6.1 yards per carry and three touchdowns. I think that he was the difference maker uh, in this one between Notre Dame and Clemson. I mean, he he stepped up when he needed to, and he was a workhorse. So um, obviously on that front, I'm going to lean with him and kind of let him enjoy the accolade that was beating Clemson. And I think he was the best offensive piece for Notre Dame. So with when you score 47 points and beat Clemson, I feel like it only makes sense for you to be of the week.
1: Yeah. All right. Defensive. I, I highly doubt we disagree. We agree with this one because there are just a lot of different options. I actually went with DeMar Hamlin safety for Pitt. Um, just because of, we thought the secondary was going to be eaten up with the um, loss to the opt out of Paris Ford. And he had his best game of the year. He really struggled this year, but he played excellent in coverage and um, yeah. So Damar Hamlin, safety for Pitt as my defensive MVP.
0: I'm sticking with Pitt, but I'm going with Brandon Hill. He actually had the best game of any DB for Pitt, you know, besides your, you know, target ratings and stuff like that. Having seven total tackles, four solo tackles, obviously the pick six. Obviously with him replacing Paris Ford, that was definitely a a huge step up. He played incredibly well and uh, definitely, you know, wasn't really missing a beat without Paris Ford with his performance this weekend. So, and obviously the pick six just kind of helps put the, uh, the the icing on on top of the cake there. So obviously we both stuck with Pitt in the Pitt secondary, we just went different guys and yeah, that was, uh, you know, Pitt's performance defensively was great. You know, it was kind of hard to to really give it to anybody in that Notre Dame Clemson game or really any other game minus Boston college Syracuse, that one was just ugly. So, Every other game had a minimum of 35 points. Minus Duke, you know, in are 24. But yeah, that was that. That's my defensive player of the week. But uh, Dan, who is your team of the week? I'm gonna guess it's Notre Dame. But do you have a different team of the week?
1: Yeah, I had definitely had Notre Dame prepared. Um, I'll, I'll think of a second one. Um...
0: I went. I'm going to go with Pitt, Dan, if you're asking me, because I think Notre Dame automatically wins team of the week because you beat the number one team in the country. And, but if I'm going with an AC, plus, you know, we always have to say Notre Dame doesn't count for any of our ACC stuff. So if we're doing the ACC team of the week and a true ACC team, sorry, Notre Dame, but I actually join the conference of football all the time. And then we can talk. I would go pit because I thought for sure they quit. I really did. I mean, I was determined that Pitt was done, you know, finished fried whatever term you want to use. And I was wrong. I, I was wrong. And shout out to them for proving me wrong.
1: Yeah, Pitt's a good one. I'm going to go with my, for my secondary team of the week, Miami, aka DR King, just because he showed his elite potential finally this week with his deep passing, but, and they grabbed a big victory, but definitely, um, definitely Notre Dame, not even close for the primary option, but yeah, do you want to quickly go through our power rankings? I mean, they actually didn't change as much as they do most weeks, but obviously there are a couple of Critical changes in there, so
0: yeah. Want to go one through five like we do, six through ten, then eleven. That sounds good. Um,
1: So, number one, Notre Dame. Number two, Clemson. Obviously, with Notre Dame winning, they swap spots, and then three is going to remain Miami because they haven't lost. And four is going to be the same with Wake Forest. Um, I mean, just because at five UNC, you're not going to move up for beating Duke um no matter how much you beat them by and wake forest has by far better losses and obviously i mean i think i'm going to have north carolina winning the game i'm not positive i mean north carolina is what like 13 and a half point favorites so i I think it's way too high but in terms of resume wise which this is mostly resume wise i'd say with sprinkled in a little bit of like what like um you know how have you looked lately and like I'll I'll consider like who is injured at the times of the games, but it's mostly resume wise and wake has been better. So um yeah that's my one through five. What about you?
0: Yeah my one through five is the exact same or exact same as yours. Obviously the only change from last week for me was I mean the only change for you as well was the flip of Clemson, another name. I almost considered putting Clemson at one still because I, I do think if they're healthy they're better but that's not fair. We're ranking what we know now and who they are now. So obviously Notre Dame is the number one team in the conference. Um, like one through five is the exact same as yours. So I'll just roll into my six through 10 then that way, you know, we could just, I have something maybe new to, to share with you. I bumped NC State up one from seven to six. I know they have lost, but my six last week was Virginia Tech. And with the loss to Liberty, it, it kind of pains me to put them there. I have Virginia Tech at seven. I really wanted to keep Virginia Tech in front, because they had a head-to-head win over the Wolfpack, but with the loss to Liberty, they were out. They were out coached. It's maybe more of an insult to the coaching staff of Virginia Tech of why I moved them to seven, but that six and seven spots almost you know interchangeable. So I'll probably get a lot of heat for having Virginia Tech at seven. Uh, eight is Virginia. That's moving up one. Obviously they were on the bye, but I bumped Boston College from eight down to nine just because. Yeah, they won the game, and obviously the Clemson effect was real, but I also had a lot better expectations and a three-point win over a Syracuse team that, quite frankly, is not very good. And then Pitt stayed at 10 for me. I thought about bumping, up, bumping them up some more, but I'm mainly writing off that Florida State was just kind of dead in the water, per se. And I also do think that just overall Boston College has been more impressive, and obviously Virginia has the most impressive win this year. Between Virginia and Pitt, when it comes to, of course, beating um, North Carolina, where obviously, I mean, Pitt's best win was probably this blowout over Florida State.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, so I had Boston College at six, just because they they keep winning. They're they're not looking terrible. They're um, again, it's resume wise, uh, and then Virginia Tech moving down to seven because of their bad loss to Liberty. Eight is actually going to be NC State, just because. I kind of separated um, Leary-NC State with Hawkman nc State, and they haven't done much with Hockman. And once they get Leary back, if that happens, they'll be a better team. But they also lost to Virginia Tech. So um, that's why they're there. Obviously, Boston College did too, but they have a better record. And, um, you know, they're just looking better. Uh, nine is going to be Pitt with a big win, and they look like a different team with Kenny Pickett now. And then um, 10, I'll just, I'll finish it off. 10, 11, and 12, just because they're kind of bunched together, are Virginia, Louisville, and Georgia Tech. They, they they stay in the same spot. There's no changes with them, except for the fact that Florida State moving down to 13 just because they have that bad loss against Pitt. And um, 14 is going to be Duke, and 15 is going to be Syracuse. They both look very bad, but... Duke beat Syracuse pretty handily. So that's why I got to put Duke above there. But you want to finish off your 11 through 15?
0: Yeah, my 11 is Georgia Tech, 12 Louisville, um, 13 Florida State, 14 Syracuse, 15 Duke. Um, Duke and Syracuse really are tied 14. I just kind of listed them out the way I did. Um, Obviously, Duke has the win over Syracuse, so I want to kind of put it that way. But I think Syracuse has also been almost more competitive per se. Um, you know, they each have some blowout losses, but at least Syracuse played Clemson close. They played UNC a heck of a lot closer than Duke did. I mean, obviously they lost the game. I think obviously Syracuse has the best win. Dukes went over Syracuse, so that kind of makes it a kind of a easy kind of thing to have them, but a lot of them neck and neck there. There's not much interchangeable there. Um, Florida State is just a step above them at the That rounds up my 1 through 15, but Dan, any other thoughts or shall we wrap up and Get ready to preview what might be the best week of ACC football we've had all year from top to bottom with obviously a big game with Wake Forest, North Carolina, Louisville, Virginia should be a good one. Miami, Virginia Tech, the battle of the Philadelphia Bowl with Notre Dame, Boston College, you know, Pitt, Georgia Tech. Eh. But again, two teams that we want to see, you know, basically not quit and then Florida State-NC State. So it's going to be a pretty darn good week in the ACC this weekend. Um, but any other thoughts before we wrap this up?
1: Yeah, obviously Wake UNC I alluded to, and I'm really circling that Notre Dame-Boston college game. That Obviously you said at the field-Jerkovic bowl, but I don't know. It's more of a battle now between him and Ian Buck, given how well Ian Buck played um, against Clemson last week. But, yeah, that's all I have. Um, you know, this was – a pretty, I mean, I guess there were, yeah, there are a couple of teams that went down, but besides that, I mean, I I think my my overall take it was just a pretty fun week in the ACC. I I agree with your take though that, I mean, a lot of people said that this past week was gate was the week of the year. I think next week has much more potential. Obviously, the game of the year was Notre Dame Clemson, but that next week has a lot more potential in terms of. I guess depth of games.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Plus, you know, Dan, I'm just putting it out there now early because I want to call my shot. The Clemson effect is real and you've got a motivated Boston College team. So, not calling it upset, but as Lee Corso would say, that's an upset special. So, I can't wait to preview those games. But as always, thanks for listening, folks. And, uh, please stay safe, please wear a mask, you know, the COVID numbers, unfortunately COVID has not disappeared. Um, So let's all just be safe and, you know, understand that in these times we've got to stick together and that way we can finish out this football season. Cause man, it's, it's going to be a fun ride to the finish. So as always, just means a little bit less go ACC and stay safe.